Well, I am so glad that you're back after last week when we warned you that this was going to be a really, really, really challenging series. So I'm glad you're here, but I'm also not surprised um, because this church family, I've, I've never been a part of a church like this where so many people are so courageous and humble when we come to the scriptures. We want to know what it says. And by God's grace, we want to adjust to it. So I'm glad to be able to, to have you here today. Today, what we're going to do, for those of you who are just joining us, we're going to be continuing. This is part two of a series that we started last week called Dear Suburban Church. And it's challenging because we are going to be diving into a very challenging letter, a first century letter that in our Bible we call First Corinthians. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And here's where we left off. We had an intro. We, we started where the Bible starts. And there was this introduction by the Apostle Paul. And he reminds in this introduction, he reminds the Corinthians of who he is in Christ. And he reminds them of who they are in Christ. And he says, we are partners together in Christ as we build this community. So he gives that introduction and then he launches right in. He just dives right in to the first topic. And the first topic that he comes to, at first glance, it, it might be a surprising one. Because he has all of these topics that he's going to address over the course of this letter. And listen, I mean, this is the partial list. There's a guy who's sleeping with his mother-in-law, and he's doing that under the banner of freedom in Christ. There's confusion over Old Testament laws of which ones apply, which ones don't. Their worship services are chaotic. They've got people who are saying the resurrection didn't even happen They've got people who are challenging Paul's authority. There is so much going on in this community. And with all of that, here is where he starts. Out of every possible topic that he could start with right after the introduction, this is the one he starts with. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. Division is the first of many weighty issues that Paul addresses. That's where he starts, with division. The very first thing that Paul wants to talk about is division in the church. Now, one of the things that's so true about Paul, he's all in. He is all in on Christ's vision for the church, for this new kind of community, this sacred gathering that we call the church. It's, it's meant to be a community that's like a loving family. It's meant to be a community where lives are being changed. It's meant to be a community that's as united as a healthy body. It's a community that's designed to not only be transforming those who are part of the community, but then transforming the world around them instead of conforming to it. Well, Jesus taught his disciples. He said, a house divided can't stand. That's what Jesus taught his disciples. And if there's division, you're never going to experience that kind of community like we just described. The kind of community that Jesus cast a vision for, the kind that he laid his life down for, or the kind he's coming back for. And as we're talking about division and we're talking about 1 Corinthians, this is not just a 1 Corinthians thing. This is not just for them then. This is as universal as things come. Maybe some of you have seen this quote before. There are two kinds of people in the world. There's those who divide the world into two kinds of people, and there's those that don't. Isn't that true? In fact, real quick, a little glimpse behind the curtain here. So we were just talking before, uh, before we started filming and potlucks came up. And so we're talking about potlucks and then somehow it came up that somebody put spaghetti in their, uh, their uh, chili because that's just, I guess, what you do where he's from. And then someone else said, well, we put macaroni in ours. <laughs> and then, then, 
you, you yelled out, what was it? That's goulash. And we almost came to blows over this, you know? So, I mean, you, you, there is differences in everything, including what you do and don't put in chili. Well, Paul addresses division and conflict, and he doesn't just do it in this letter. In fact, if you read all of his letters, almost every letter deals with division in one way, shape, or form. He's seen division everywhere. And if anyone's seen everywhere, it's him. I couldn't not think of, there's that old Johnny Cash song. I was thinking about Paul. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. I mean, that, if, if Paul had walk-up music, that would be his walk-up song. He's been everywhere. He's been everywhere. And everywhere he's gone, he's seen this. And he's seen firsthand what can happen and how division can escalate so quickly and the damage it can do. Well, last week I mentioned how 1 Corinthians, this is a letter that resonates with people. As I read the scholars and, and I read what they have to say about this book, every one of them is like, oh, this is such a relevant, practical book. And it isn't just the scholars today that are saying this. I came across a quote by a historical figure. His name is Clement of Rome. He was writing in 95 AD. And back in 95 AD, this guy was saying, so there's this letter you know, and I don't know if they called it First Corinthians back then, but there's this letter and they are describing the exact kind of division that we're experiencing right now. 95 AD. From that point, I mean, this resonates. And in this room, because I know many of you and many of your stories, you've experienced division. You've seen it in your friend groups. You've seen it in your families. You've seen it on the teams that you're a part of. And many of you, in fact, many of you are here because you experienced it to such an extent at your church. This is everywhere. It is a bedrock level issue. And Paul recognizes if we don't get this right, it really doesn't matter what I say about anything else. This is at the foundation. Well, I think most of us would agree. Okay, yep, division. Now I'm not pro-division. I'm on the other side, whatever the opposite of unity. I'd be on unity. Um, I, I get that. It, it, everything falls apart if that happens. So then here's one of the challenges that we have if we're going to have this conversation. And I invite you to write this down too. All right, how do you avoid overcorrecting? Because aren't we as a culture really good at that? We overcorrect all the time. How do we avoid overcorrecting when it comes to unity? There are two extremes when it comes to division. And Paul is not an advocate of either of these extremes. One extreme is you attempt to maintain unity at all costs. That's one extreme. Some call this the lowest common denominator approach, where what you do, you try to find, okay, what does everybody agree on? What does everyone accept? What is no one offended by? First of all, good luck with that. <laughs> and, and secondly, that's not what Paul's talking about at all. There are times when you divide. In fact, if you go to Acts 18, you read how the first Corinthians... <laughs> church started, the, the very first one, it started with Paul storming out of a synagogue because people, quote, were opposed and reviled him. He literally shook the dust off of his feet. He went next door. He moved his ministry next door. That is how the church in Corinth started. It started with division. And so he is clearly not saying there's never a time when you don't divide. He's not saying that. So that's one extreme. The other extreme then is you divide too quickly. That's the other extreme. And I had a flashback. I wish I could have found it, but I remember getting this email a long time ago, not long after we started Emmanuel. 
And it was from an individual. And he, he did one of those just massive, you know, blasts to every church in the area. And he said, hey, I'm looking for a church home. And then the guy goes on to list thing after thing after thing after thing. I mean, it must have been at least 30 things. So precise. He was using language that I hadn't heard since I was working on my master's in seminary. And he wanted to know, he said, I don't want to just know your stand. I want a basically a detailed position on each of these issues because he said, and I quote, each of these is vitally important to me. Each of these beliefs, each of these doctrines, some that I had to go back and look up some of my theological dictionaries. What is he even talking about? I wish him well, by the way. In a different letter, Paul instructs a leader named Titus. He says, again, divisiveness is everywhere. He says, avoid, and I quote, foolish controversies and arguments and quarrels, which he calls unprofitable and useless. That's the other extreme. You're, you're just, you're, you're dividing over everything. You disagree, all right, I'll, I'll go find someone who agrees with all of these, these essentials in, in my mind. Okay, so we all know the damage that division can cause. We want to avoid those two extremes. What does it look like? What, what could God-honoring unity look like? Let's see. We're going to open up to right where we left off. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd encourage you to go to Bible.com. They've got a great free Bible app that you can download. It's some crazy number. Like hundreds of millions of people have downloaded this Bible from, uh, from that, that site. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 says this. And this is Paul writing. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but you be united in the same mind and of the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. All right, so let's talk about this. Let's unpack this a little bit. Paul begins with a reminder that we're family. Do you notice that? He says, brothers. So he said, brothers, sisters, hey, we're, we're family here. And then he uses a Greek word for unity, that's used elsewhere for mending a net. Isn't that great imagery? So when he's talking about unity, it's like mending a net that was broken. And then when it comes to division, I put the Greek word up there. The Greek word is schisma, which is elsewhere used in the Bible to talk about a tear in a garment. So he's saying, hey, family, instead of mending, what you're doing is you're tearing the family apart. That is vivid language. And he says, I hear this from Chloe's people. From Chloe's people. We'll get into who that is in just a bit. But I want to just emphasize one more time this idea of community. This is not just any community he's talking about here. It's a Christ community. And Paul emphasized that over and over again. If you missed last week, we looked in the first nine verses of that introduction. He uses the word Christ, this title Christ, nine times in nine verses. And you may have noticed here in verse 10, he uses it again. That's 10 times in the first 10 verses. He's trying to say, we're building something unique here. This is a distinctly Christ community. All right, I mentioned that Paul says he got a report from Chloe's people. Who is Chloe? We're not sure. This is the only place in the entire Bible you find her. But she appears to have been a person who was ahead of her time. 
most of the sources I looked at said when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was way, way, way over in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus is a long way from Corinth. So apparently, Chloe is an influential woman. She's got people, so she's able to send people, and she's got capacity to do it. So some speculated, all right, she's Ephesus-based, and she's got some business in Corinth or something like that, so she sends people back and forth, so they know who she is. They're going back and forth. They transport information, too. She might have been Corinth-based, who did business in Ephesus, so people were going back and forth. She might have had homes in both cities. We don't know for sure. What we do know is Chloe's people knew where to find Paul, and they tracked him down all the way, coming from Corinth with this information to say, hey, we need your help. This, this church is in trouble. Let's go back to our text, and we're going to look at verse 12. So what's, what's the trouble? What's this thing? What are they upset about? What I mean by that, Paul says in verse 12, is one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. In that time, in that place, it was very, very normal to pick your influencer. This is my person, my person. And then you would quarrel over why your influencer was the genius influencer of them all. So what the Corinthians were doing, they were just mirroring the culture. This is what the people around them did. They'd have these traveling people come through. They would say, this is the one I like. I'm with them. So they were just mirroring it. So some of them were saying, I follow Paul. And when it comes to hitting the like and subscribe buttons, Paul is a great pick. He's a great pick. He is a brilliant guy. He's a prolific writer. He's the founder of their church. He's their spiritual father. Supernatural power flows through him, so much so that it is reported that items that he had touched were carried away to people who were sick and, quote, their diseases left them and evil spirits came out. And nobody I can think of did more besides Christ himself to demonstrate, I'm all in. This guy, the suffering he went through, the persecution he went through. So he's a great pick. Others were saying, I follow Apollos. And when it comes to hitting the like and subscribe buttons, pa Apollos, great pick too. From what we know about Apollos, he was the TED talker of his time. He sometimes needed help with finer points of doctrine, but he was solid. This guy could hold his own on any main stage anywhere. In fact, it's reported of him that this guy could mic drop on any critic of the Christian faith. He could just be like, here is, let me tell you why this is the truth. So some people liked him. Others were saying, I follow Cephas when it comes to hitting the like and subscribe buttons. How do you not go with him? They're talking about Peter here, the inner circle disciple. His name is Cephas, which means rock. He walked on water. He was chosen by Jesus to lead the church in Jerusalem. He may have represented a Jewish form of Christianity, which was doing a good job sometimes of remaining anchored to Old Testament laws and teachings when others were abandoning them. So what we got here is we got three really good and godly people. They're all bringing something that's important to the conversation. Paul emphasizes the, the all-in life. He's got deep and nuanced theology as well as signs and wonders. Apollos could communicate fundamental truths in a powerful and persuasive way. Peter, he's known of a man of action, and at the same time, he's careful. Let's not dismiss the sacred laws that God gave Moses. So the issue is not that we got three knuckleheads here. Paul's concern with these three is that people are aligning themselves more closely with them than they are with Christ. 
That, that's the issue with, with these three, with a popular person instead of Christ. I once heard Luther. Luther hated the idea that people were being called Lutherans. He hated it. He said, he said it's not about me. And actually, if you translate from his native tongue, German, the actual translation is, why would they want my evil name, is what he would say. So if this were a small group, this would be a great time to hit pause and to talk about Christian pastors, teachers, communicators, musicians, influencers, who are really good people, really gifted, are adding so much to the conversation, but we're putting them on a pedestal. You start putting people on the pedestal, anybody on the pedestal, that is not good for that person, and it's not good for us. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, Paul says, it's like this. He says, okay, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but it's God who makes it grow. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that. Putting a person on pedestal, like I said, it's a dangerous thing to do. Okay, in the letter we call 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul adds another layer to this. Another layer to this whole influencer piece and really being careful on who you're being influenced by. So here's the other layer, and it was causing division. People weren't just liking and following teachers and influencers like Paul, Apollos, and Peter who were leading them the right way. They were also liking and following teachers who were more, more style than substance. As I was prepping this uh, message, N.T. Wright, who I could quote every single week, this guy's so good. He's got so many great insights. He gave this cautionary tale based on a true thing. So he woke up one morning and he heard what he called a, quote, beautiful bird song. He heard this bird singing this beautiful song. He described it like this. The little fellow was chirping and squeaking and whistling like a virtuoso musician, showing off to an admiring crowd. And he said it wasn't long before he began to hear other birds out there singing too. And then as he put his coffee on, he reminded himself, he goes, oh, I forgot what's going on here. That bird is staking out its territory. Do you ever see that happen? Influencers stake out their territory. If this were a small group, this would be another good place to hit pause and having a conversation about the influencers who influence us. And are we following people who are really about building their own brand and their own little kingdom? And what does that mean? Is that someone that we should be following? All right. Paul is not a fan of self-promotion. And he had some very direct things to say about all of us, all of us, pointing people to Christ instead of to ourselves. He was big on that. All right, that's another layer. There's another layer to all of this. Another layer that Paul adds to this mix that's causing divisions. In chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, here's one of the ways that you can discern whether or not the voices you're listening to are really people you should be following at all. And if this were a small group, a hard but important conversation that we could have would be, are we listening to people that we find entertaining? But really, it's a toxic undercurrent there when it comes to unity and division. Are they advocating for the kind of unity that Paul advocates for? That they set an example of selfless service that Paul models? He goes into all of this in, in chapter four. You know, are they blessing the people who criticize them? Are they modeling that for us? Because that's so hard to do. Would you word, use words like patient and kind, which are connected to the Holy Spirit when you think of these people? And are they especially slow when they're pointing their fingers out there? Are they especially slow to say, I'm not going to judge those outside the church. Let's, let's talk to each other about accountability, but that's not our business to be judging 
people outside of the church. And big picture too, do they radiate anger? Do they radiate it's us versus them? Or are they more aligned with what Paul's trying to say are so important, is so important when it comes to division and unity? So, okay, Paul's not a fan of self-promotion. He's not a fan of influencers who are quick to frame disagreement as us versus them. Here's another thing he's not a fan of. He's not a fan of those who play too loose with doctrine. He's not a fan of that. Here's how chapter four starts. He says, chapter four, verse one, this is how you should regard us as servants of Christ. And I love this phrase. What does he, what does he say? Stewards of the mysteries. Stewards of the mysteries. There are some things that are so counterintuitive when it comes to God. And Paul, will get to this next week a lot. So much of them involve the cross. And there are these things that when he talks about mysteries, these are revelations, but they're mysterious because you don't just come to them on your own, your own just thinking through this. And he says, be really careful as you steward this. You want to be careful. Don't play loose with doctrine. Let's be careful as we steward these mysteries. In 1 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, don't go beyond what is written, he says. All right. So this leads us all the way back to, there were four groups that there was, people were dividing over. There was those who said, I follow Paul. There were those who said, I follow Apollos. There were those who said, I follow Cephas. And there were those who said, as you remember, I follow Christ. Now, almost all the scholars I looked at, they said, actually, that, that's not a compliment in this situation. And if you've been around church people enough, when you hear people say that, you may follow them. I follow Christ. It's almost also, always coming from a place of, of pride and all kinds of things that are not helpful for community, community building. In fact, over the last five to 10 years, there's been a whole lot of people documenting what they call the rise of the duns. People who are like, okay, I'm, I, I believe in God, but I'm done with church, I'm done with church. And if that's you and you're tuning in, I told you this is gonna be a hard, direct series. I got a hard, direct word for you. Please know that it comes from a place of not me thinking I've got all this stuff figured out or anything like that. But I, I wanna challenge you. If you're saying, yep, I'm, I'm done with church. I want to challenge you to, to read this passage and really reflect on it and read the ones that follow. Because by coming to a place where you're saying, there's no church good enough for me, are you really done divided, divided, divided down to the place where you're a church of one? I want to challenge you on that. I want to challenge you on that as a brother. All right, I warned you this letter was going to be challenging. All right, let's go back to our text. If, if this section... Um, Verse 13 through 16 goes like this. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of y'all except Crispus and Gaius so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. How tragic is that? How tragic is it that Paul has to say, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you because then you'd be using that against each other and for positioning. Paul says, you know, this whole choosing side thing, it is so messed up. I'm glad I only baptized Gaius and, and Crispus. And what's interesting, those aren't the only places you find those names. Gaius is mentioned in Romans 16. He ended up hosting Paul and a church in his home. And then there's Crispus. This is really interesting. If you read the backstory to Corinthians um, in Acts 18, Crispus was a former synagogue ruler. You don't find former synagogue rulers and Paul 
getting along, you know, usually. This is, this guy, he converted to Christianity. This is like Chuck Schumer caucusing with the Republicans. This is, it is, it's like Ted Cruz caucusing with the Democrats. That's what's going on here. And then there's Sosthenes. He's the one who co-authored this with Paul. This is in Corinthians, I think, verse 1. It, then his name shows up in Acts 18 too. He's another former synagogue ruler who was beaten by a mob that had rose up against Paul. God is bringing people together here that otherwise would not be together. And you can almost hear Paul as he's hearing this word coming from Chloe's people, don't tear apart what God had been bringing together, especially over like, who's the best speaker, who are you aligned with? Let's not do that. So here's our invitation to all of us today. I invite you to write this down. Will you join us in our pursuit of unity in Christ? Unity in Christ. Not just unity, unity in Christ. Not unity that's watered down to the lowest common denominator. Not unity that'll only exist because people aren't into all of the foolish arguments and controversies that you are. Unity in Christ. All right, what does that look like? Here's a framework that I would offer to you. Here's what I encourage us to do. When we divide, let's do this. Let's divide only when the scripture instructs us to. That's what I would offer. If we're going to divide, let's divide when the scripture instructs us to. If you're new to Christianity, one of the things you're going to discover very quickly is that there are countless instances where people who are truth-seeking Bible-studying, spirit-filled folks, we come to the same text and we see it different. You're going to see that. Don't be too quick to divide when that happens, and especially if you're all really seeking truth together. There's probably something that each of you can add to that conversation. To divide is a very serious line in the sand. And in light of what we see in the scriptures, like the one we looked at today, I would caution people against dividing over things that scripture itself doesn't instruct us to divide over. When does that happen? It happens in Corinthians. It happens in Corinthians. Chapter 5, we're going to come to this passage where Paul specifically calls that out. And he says this. He says, if somebody is doing that, don't even eat with them. That is a big deal. Why is that a big deal? Because Jesus says, let's be a Christ community. Christ turned table fellowship upside down. Christ would eat with people that they said, you can't eat with them, and he ate with them. So for Paul to say this about table fellowship, that's the kind of thing you divide over. It's a big deal. Another example, Paul says, if you're, if you want to, if, when it's time to divide, divide when you're dealing with a divisive person. He specifically says it. That book earlier that I said, Titus, he wrote, writes to Titus, he says, quote, Warn divisive people once, warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. So there are times where the Bible itself says, hey, this is one time where, where, where you, you, you say, okay, we, we're just not in the same place here. And as respectfully as you can, this is a place where we divide, we part ways. All right, so if you imagine concentric circles, you got, you got divide, and then coming out from there, you have something that's not as serious. And I would put, I would call that defend. I would call that defend. And I would say, let's defend when the stakes are high. When the stakes are high. One of the ways that I personally try to avoid foolish arguments, useless quarrels, is I try not to get in, into defending mode unless the stakes are high. The, but 
Corinthians. It says, I think, 1 Corinthians 8, it says, knowledge puffs up, but it's love that builds up. So you can have all, just because you think something's really solid, if the stakes are low, then just have a conversation. Don't, don't divide over that, you know, or even get too defensive about it. But when it comes to high stakes things, that's where you're going to find me get more in the mode of defending. For example, one of the things we say around here a lot is in a world as broken as ours, we can't do everything, but everybody should have a substantive something. Is that verse in the Bible? No. But why will I defend that? I'll defend it because I believe the scripture says it. And also, if we don't, we continue to not help the brokenness in this world. We live in a world where people die of of preventable causes every day. We live in a world where people are trafficked. We live in a world where there is so much hurt and so much pain for, for, for us just to sit on the sidelines. That's wrong. So I will defend that. I will defend that. That would be an example because the stakes are high. Okay, so I would encourage us, divide when the scripture instructs us to, defend when the stakes are high, and then, last one, discuss everything else. Discuss everything else. If the stakes are low, if the Bible doesn't say divide over it, then just have a conversation. Bring the temperature down. You don't have to go to separate corners. Don't draw lines in the sand. We might learn something. We might learn something from each other. Let's open our Bibles together. Well, when it comes to actually then living this out, there's three concentric circles, right? When it comes to living that out, I really appreciate something that I, I heard just, um, just last Friday, this last Friday. The president of our denomination was in town for a conversation about human sexuality, which was a deeply divisive topic in 1 Corinthians. It's a deeply divisive topic in our denomination right now. What, is it, what does it mean? You know, we're having to face really hard decisions as a church family. When do we say to a pastor? When do we say to a church? It seems like we're in a divide situation here. When do we do that? And I love her approach. I love her approach. She used words like position and posture and policies. When you go about implementing this as a church, this divide, defend, here's, here's what I encourage you to write down. This is, this is an approach I, that I, I want us as a church to really to work more like this, to firmly anchor our positions in Scripture, to then also hold one another to God-honoring posture. Meaning, let's not be radiating anger and hate and judgment. Let's be radiating, we care and we're listening. Let's, let's, have, a, let's have a posture of humility and really try to understand. Let's have a posture of really saying, yeah, I want to make sure that we're not holding other people to different you know, standards that we're holding ourselves. And that brings us to that last one. Let's apply our policies consistently consistently. When we get to chapters 5, 6, and 7, where it has these intense conversations around human sexuality, let's make sure we're not pointing the finger at one form of behavior and then we're excusing things that we're doing if we're not doing those things. Let's be consistent. I love that model. Community, real community, it's messy. It's messy. And I'll just share one more thing she said. One of the things President Tammy said, she goes, okay, if you were to write down, because there's people that pressure all pressure all the time. They say, okay, we got to get everything down, written down. What would we divide over? Let's, 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 <laughs> let's list all of those, every situation, every circumstance with all of its nuances. What was that number, Gavin? You were telling me a massive number before we started the service. What was that number? Google a Googleplex 
a Googleplex Ian. You would have to have a Googleplex Ian pages to this manual. It, you, you, would, you would never be able to write all these things down. And even going down that path, isn't that what the Pharisees were doing? Real community is going to be messy. It's going to be taking principles like this and sitting down together in love and doing the best we can to talk, talk things through. So I, I hope some of these principles are, are helpful. I want to encourage you, if you haven't, read Paul's words because we want to make sure that on a topic this sensitive, you're, you're looking right at the scriptures and fact-checking everything that we say. This is an important topic. I want to pray and then let's seal our time together with a song. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And even as I was closed my eyes and I, I saw my page here, I'm glad I, I caught that. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In a world like ours, can we even imagine how we're going to shine if we're doing this hard, messy work of really trying to get unity right and not watering things down or not dividing so much that we're left with the three people who agree with us. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be in work in such a way that it's shaping our hearts and shaping our minds and helping us to see things the way you see things. And Lord, we're thankful for those dissenting voices who have the courage to speak up and bring to light things that we may have missed. Lord, we desire to be a part of a family that treats each other the way that you taught us, Jesus, to, to live. Father, we, we, we want to be a group that radiates your spirit rather than just conforms to the dysfunction around us. And Lord, in all things, even as we speak with confidence, because we're anchoring the scriptures, Lord, we pray that that confidence wouldn't step off that narrow road onto the slippery slope of pride. Father, we pray that we would be the first, we will be the first to admit our flaws and admit our shortcomings and to make changes and adjustments where we should. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.